Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about muffins. Yes, muffins. Surprisingly fun. A fun episode. It is. Oh, and not just because muffin is such a wonderfully silly sounding word. It it really is. Um, And this is sort of inspired by, I guess everyone's making banana bread right now. (laughs) I haven't seen this, but I hear the jokes about how a lot of people's social media feeds is just pictures of banana bread. And to me, it totally makes sense <laughs> why you would be doing that. Um, sure. You got bananas around, and they're getting a little a little ripe. Um, but, yeah, you I guess. You got some extra time on your hands right now, so yeah. you notice them going ripe and don't just notice them, like, three days later and go, right. like, oh, welp, welp, right. that would have been good banana bread. Exactly. I know Chrissy Teigen made some, and it the uh, Instagram <laughs> sensation. Ah, okay. I love banana bread. Um, Ooh, my yeah, mom, me too. she would make it like pretty rarely. So it was really exciting. It was a really exciting oh, thing. Okay. I don't have any, I don't have any bananas, but if I encounter some, I might make some banana <laughs> bread. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel, I feel bad buying bananas and you can see yeah. our banana episode for more <laughs> on that, but you can make a quick bread with, uh, I mean, basically any kind of ripe fruit, very similar to, I really like a pear bread. You get some Ooh. overripe pears because pears also have that thing where, you know, like they go so overripe so quickly. Um, yeah. So it's great for that. But yeah, I, I had a big banana bread phase a few years back. And <laughs> I I have to say, I can make an excellent one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> don't don't tempt me with that, uh, Lauren. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I like to think that you 
could like chart out your life like an epoch, like the banana bread's <laughs> age, <laughs> totally the sauerkraut age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not like my blue period. It's like my banana bread period. Absolutely. Yes. I love it. <laughs> um, and my mom did make banana bread muffins. Ooh. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, which I liked because there's something about it just being sort of contained. Nice little bite just ready for you that yeah, I really Yeah, enjoyed. the single serving is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't really have muffins too much anymore. When I was a kid, I loved blueberry muffins. And when I first started this job as an intern, I would occasionally bring in stuff from home because I live by myself and I don't want to eat like 26 muffins. An entire, right, sure. <laughs> right. So I have this uh, chocolate chip muffin recipe. It is so good. It is the best. Ooh. It involves sour cream. Oh, yeah. I I made it once. And then I remember like a week later, Tyler, a friend and coworker of ours, kind of shyly asked if I could make oh. some more. Oh. <laughs> like, yes. Absolutely, yes. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> yes. Um, and I want to thank this episode so much for reminding me about the apple muffin. The, the apple muffin. What about the apple muffin? Oh, oh my God. So this is one of my favorite things ever. <laughs> I have a like folder of like nuclear option videos of I'm having a bad day. This video will cheer me up. Oh, This is a video um, from a legislative debate out of New York State's government about, <laughs> it was actually about yogurt and making yogurt the state sack. But in it, they, they actually get in this huge debate about it, and the apple muffin comes up because the apple muffin is New York State muffin. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay, okay, sure. That I mean, that makes sense. New York, the big apple, apple muffins. Yes. I think since 1987. I've done a lot of research into this because I love this clip so much. And the... They are arguing about what constitutes a snack. Well, what about gluten? Like they, they get really into it. And the guy who's proposing it, it was like the idea of a bunch of fourth graders, you know. So, but he's up there fighting for the yogurt and yeah. he brings up he brings up the apple muffin and he starts laughing. <laughs> and he just can't get through the sentence. Oh. It's so funny. <laughs> so. Oh, that is delightful. Huzzah. That's no, I'm I'm super into that. That sounds great. Yes, we'll definitely have to watch that clip after this. And I highly recommend any listeners. It was on The Daily Show. That's where I encountered it. But you can find it. It's, it lives online forever. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I guess speaking of legislation, um, apparently February 20th is National Muffin Day. February 20th? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Don't know why. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. And then you can see our, our cupcake episode for... Because I feel like here in the United States, they're essentially cupcakes without frosting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, top of the muffin to you, the Seinfeld <laughs> episode. Thanks also to this for reminding me of that. <laughs> Which is where Elaine gets in this business where she's just selling the muffin tops. Just the tops, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to talk more about that as well later on. Yes. <laughs> yes, you got a lot of look, a lot to look forward to. But in the meantime, okay, let's get to our question. Muffins. What are they? Well, um, as with so many foods that we talk about, uh, muffin can mean a lot of things. But generally what humans mean, uh, English-speaking humans at any rate, by, by the word muffin, is a, a sweetened quick bread baked in a single-serving unit about the size of a fist uh, in specialized muffin cups or, or muffin tins. And I will note here that fists and muffins may both vary pretty widely in size. So yes. fist-sized your mileage may vary. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, uh, uh, quick bread is a key term here. Um, and that's a that's a category of baked goods that are chemically leavened. So you don't have to mess around with yeast. And you can go from like raw ingredients to hot and tasty food in like less than half an hour. And you don't even have to, to, to whip the heck out of eggs or, or butter and sugar in order to do it. Uh, which, uh, whipping the heck out of eggs or butter and sugar, those are two ways of creating high-rising structure within other baked goods. Uh, many breads use yeast. Many cakes use the eggs and or creamed butter and sugar combination. At any rate, uh, you don't have to do 
any of that for a quick bread. Huzzah. Mm-hmm. We talked a bit about chemical leaveners in our pancakes episode. And uh, these are things what produce bubbles of gas when exposed to either something acidic or to heat. Baking soda, uh, sodium bicarbonate, is one. It's it's a compound that reacts with acids to produce carbon dioxide. And uh, cream of tartar produces carbon dioxide bubbles when heated. And uh, baking powder is a combination of baking soda and cream of tartar. So it's double acting. You might have seen that word on uh, baking powder packaging. Um, So making quick breads is simple with the use of chemical leaveners because you just mix your your, your dry ingredients in one bowl, your flour, your leaveners, uh, any mix-ins you're using, and your your wet ingredients in another bowl. Your your milk, your uh, oil or melted butter, and sugar— I know sugar is dry. It's it's weird. It's an amorphous <laughs> solid. Just just roll with it being in the wet category. Um, and then you, you stir the wet and the dry together until they're just barely combined and then toss the batter in the oven. I mean, you put it in a pan of your choosing first. I, would, I wouldn't just like <laughs> throw it in there. Just like throw it in? Jackson Pollock, no. Um, but uh, yeah, when you're doing this combination, you don't want to overstir or let it sit very long once the, the wet and dry are combined. Like a little stirring in time will let the, the baking soda and whatever acid is in the recipe go to work creating bubbles, but too much stirring or time and those bubbles will deflate um, and give you a, a, a sunken muffin. Nobody oh, wants yeah. a sunken muffin. I've done that before. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- th- this method of batter creation um, is named for muffins. It's the muffin method. Oh, my um, gosh. I love that. I know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, doing this correctly, uh, the-, the result will be a moist, tender baked good that rose just so fast and so effectively that it may have spilled out over the top of its container in the oven, creating a pretty domed top. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We used to call them... Sombrero hat muffins. Sombrero hat muffins? <laughs> That's really weird, but sweet. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think I made it up when I was a kid because they looked, to me, they looked like sombrero hats. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, uh, like, like that terminology, uh, many muffin flavors are sweet. Uh, <laughs> uh, either a dried or fresh fruit involved, um, nuts, chocolate, stuff like that added in. But muffins can be savory as well with cheese or herbs or hot peppers or like onions and garlic. Uh, wheat flour or similarly behaving uh, flours are common, but cornmeal can also be used or a combination. Um, most cornbreads are, by the way, also quick breads. English muffins meanwhile, are another thing entirely. Um, Those are savory, yeast-raised flatbreads that are cooked um, in in a stovetop pan or on a griddle using using a tall-sided metal ring to keep the dough in place. Uh, The the ring, like, forces the dough to rise as it cooks instead of spreading out like a pancake would, um, thus helping create structure within the setting dough, like those nooks and crannies, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, the dusting of cornmeal that often comes on the outside of English muffins uh, helps, like, mitigate the direct heat of the cooking surface um, and prevents too crusty of a crust from forming. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the frightening question. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> what about the nutrition? Uh, look, y'all, muffins are out of control. <laughs> um, like, like store-bought muffins, like, oversized, super sweet, wildly rich. Um, They can run you a quarter of your daily caloric intake and all or more of your recommended intake of sugar with very little protein on the balance. Um, And I know that they can seem like a sensible snack or like grab-and-go breakfast sort of situation, but to be honest, you're usually better off just getting a donut at that rate. Um, because a donut will probably have a little bit more fat and probably way less sugar. Um, so it'll fill you up and keep you going longer than a muffin. I remember very vividly, I was stuck in LaGuardia, as often happens in LaGuardia, back when we yep. could travel. Oh, uh, yep. And I was just desperately looking around for something to eat. And so I got in this huge line for Dunkin' Donuts. And I got all the way to the front, and then I saw the muffin I had wanted. I was finally able to read the calorie count, and I got up to the register, and she said, what will you have? And I said, never mind. (laughs) 
it was like outrageous. I knew it was oh, going to be high, geez. but whoa. But you were just like, nope, nope. No, because it wasn't then. even that big. And I thought, oh, sure. Oh, no. Yeah, no, that stuff, it gets wild. Yeah, I know it's a gag in Max Smart. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I remember there was a muffin a joke about how 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 many galleries surprisingly are in even the smallest ones. And then here's this quote that I love from Jeremy Glass over at Thrillist. With an average muffin packing more than 400 calories and a mind-melting 40 grams of sugar in one serving, eating a muffin for breakfast is exactly the same as taking out your heart, putting it on a serving dish, and then covering your heart with killer bees whose own hearts are filled with spite. The muffin as a whole isn't a bad thing. Convenient, delicious, easy to snack on when you're rushing for the train. But let's be honest about it. It's nothing more than a frostingless cupcake masquerading as a sensible adult breakfast choice. <laughs> I love killer bees and their hearts are killer, full of spite. Right? Oh, gosh. That's a that's a gorgeous quote from um, from Jeremy. He also <laughs> does some food writing over at uh, HowStuffWorks.com. So, uh, so good. Good, good writer, good human. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, I mean, you know, of course, if you if you make muffins at home, like you can you can make all kinds of substitutions and additions to get more protein and less sugar in there. Um, you know, yogurt or applesauce in place of some of the oil, whole wheat flour or nut flour in place of some of the white flour, added seeds or nuts or fresh fruit, just a little bit less sugar <laughs> in general. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a treat. Enjoy it. Mm-hmm. If you have that muffin craving, I encourage you to indulge it because yes. it's important to indulge cravings because it's nice. Um, <laughs> but you know, just be be aware of serving sizes. Uh yeah. <laughs> I know I used to make a pretty good zucchini carrot apple muffin. Ooh. It doesn't Ooh. sound very good, but actually no, that sounds great. Good. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you can expand your muffin horizons. I don't think I ever would have considered that as a muffin until uh, I I was like, well, zucchini bread is a thing. Why isn't there zucchini muffin? And there you go. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. The rest is history. We do have some (laughs) numbers for you. The number one selling brand of English muffins is Thomas's English muffins. That probably is not a surprise. Accounting for an annual $500 million. According to the New York Times, an estimated seven people know the recipe for these English muffins. One of them, Chris Botticella, ended up in court after he left the company for rival Hostess Brands in 2010. Oh, dang. Oh, yeah. This was such a great read. (laughs) The court documents refer to the recipe books as code books, and and they detail how the recipe was split into several pieces to prevent it from leaking out. Wow. Yeah. yeah. They horcruxed the recipe? Oh, my God. I love that. They totally did. Apparently... Two industry consultants spent years attempting to nail down this recipe, but found they could not consistently produce the, quote, nooks and crannies. So, very fun English muffin intrigue. Yeah, yeah. And there there is a lot written. I mean, like, you can pretty easily find a good, like, scientific guide to how to make regular muffins, like, tasty and and good and how that works. Um, but but there is like it's a lot more complicated when you get into the English muffin situation. So now I'm taking it as like a baking challenge. I yes. don't particularly like English muffins. I mean I I mean I don't hate them like they're fine. Sure. But I'm like at that point I, there's a lot of other bread products I would rather be consuming. Um, but but challenge. now I'm like now the, the challenge. Oh, I need some baking rings. <laughs> I actually have those. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well, maybe with our powers combined. Maybe, maybe. Um, as, in terms of non-English muffins, uh, as of 2018, packaged muffins made up about 68% of the global muffins market, as opposed to um, artisanal or store-baked muffins. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, there is a muffins market. Yes, people in the food research industry refer to it as such. I love that. (laughs) Um, Delightful. And furthermore, as of 2020, um, the muffins market is estimated to be worth $7.8 billion worldwide. 
Wow. And is it's on the rise. Like, it's predicted to reach $9.3 billion by 2026. Wow. I don't. And I, I don't know, like, I, I guess outside of when I was a poor college student living partially out of, like, whatever my school vending machines had to mm-hmm. offer, I, I don't really think of um, packaged muffins being a food group, but they certainly are. We need to—I've actually been thinking seriously about this for a while. We need to reinvent the food pyramid yeah. in terms of— quarantine and maybe <laughs> I think mine is like hot sauce wine <laughs> that's it <laughs> I would love to have like a muffin section oh gosh uh, yeah my my quarantine food pyramid is definitely like the, the base is just like bread and peanut butter uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a delicious delicious base Mm-hmm. <laughs> and coffee. Oh, it's oh, all floating oh, yeah. on a river of coffee, like the river sticks. It's just. You're right. You're right. <laughs> coffee is a huge part of it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then box wine somewhere. Yeah. Box wine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like floating clouds of, of like balloons, like hot air balloons. <laughs> I like this. I've been looking for art projects. Maybe I'll <laughs> take this up. You work on the science of the English muffin. Okay. I'll make a ridiculous food chart, a food pyramid chart. Perfect. <laughs> Sounds <Love> fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> we do have a lot of history for you. We do, but first we've got a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. 
Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring Bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, as you might imagine, tracking down the history of any type of bread product is tricky for a lot of reasons. Uh, but food historians think that the muffin got started with the English, perhaps in the 17th-ish century. The term originally referred to small, yeast-risen things that were more bread-like than crumpets were. Uh, yeah, crumpets being a little bit more um, pancake-like. Right. The word muffin first appeared in the written record in the 18th century. Uh, these things were also commonly called gems, which I love. Um, to make them, people traditionally used muffin rings on a griddle. Uh, yeah, yeah, like today's English muffins. Um, and, and these muffins were also likely less sweet than modern muffins as sugar was still pretty expensive. From, um, from a cookbook called The Art of Cookery Made Plain and Easy from 1747, um, there was this warning about this style of muffin. It said, don't touch them with a knife, either to spread or cut them open. If you do, they will be heavy as lead. Oh, oh no. <laughs> very, very strongly worded. I, I love it. Yeah, you, you, you were to open them with a fork and only a fork. Yes, don't you dare use a <laughs> knife. Don't you dare. <laughs> huh. uh, meanwhile, the, the word muffin in English, um, possibly, no one's entirely sure, uh, possibly came from either a German word for a small cake, um, muff or muff, being muffin in the plural or, or muffin in the plural. I'm not entirely sure on the pronunciation there. Or uh, from an old French word for soft or tender, um, mufflette, mufflet. I'm not sure. I don't know French. Um, uh also, a side note here, an etymology side note, um, I had to pull myself away from an extremely tempting rabbit hole about the etymology of ragamuffin, which Ooh. seems to be entirely separate. And oh, I love it. That's oh, great. gosh. I am going to treat myself to that rabbit hole later on, and I am so excited. We, we are such nerds, and I, I love it. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was originally— to some research. <laughs> No, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was well. It was originally a, a word for for the devil. Um, <gasps> oh wow. Yeah, and like probably Cockney based, but no one's entirely sure. Anyway, so I'm I'm psyched. That you bring up the devil, I, I see why <laughs> you're so excited. I might go on the same rabbit hole now. <laughs> I'll send you a link. Perfect. <laughs> yes. I'll post it for y'all too. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> rabbit holes for all. Um, muffins were a really popular item during the early 19th century. For those that could afford a servant, it was kind of a luxury to have the servants wake up for you and make this food so it would be ready when you were up for breakfast. Uh, yes, yeah, still still these these made in a in a ring on a griddle or stovetop situation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you didn't have a servant, there was an alternative. The muffin man. The muffin man? Do you know the muffin man? <laughs> <laughs> um, during tea time, muffin men would go through the streets, ringing their bells to alert people that they were around. They were selling muffins, sort of like a very early precursor to the ice cream truck, I guess. Uh, they were so rampant that in the UK in the 1840s, Parliament passed a law banning the bells, but it was largely ignored, because of course it was. <laughs> uh, muffin man nursery rhyme originated sometime in the 1820s. Um, and related to that nursery rhyme, I basically cannot hear the word muffin without thinking about Shrek and what an absolute jewel of a human John Lithgow is. Yeah, I, actually me too. Every time I think of muffin, I, Shrek is the first thing I think of. Oh. <laughs> Almost. It's up there for sure. 
if, if if you guys do not remember um, uh, what what I'm talking about, there's there's a great John Lithgow is playing the villain of the piece, and there's this moment where he's kind of interrogating um, the gingerbread man, mm-hmm. and yeah, and he just leans in real close, and he's just like, "Do you know the Muffin Man?" Yes, it's excellent. The Muffin Man, the Muffin Man. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's I'm doing a very bad John Lithgow right now, but. I think it was perfectly serviceable. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> thank <welcome>. you. <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, muffins as we know them could not happen until the invention of modern chemical leaveners. A little bit before all of this that we're talking about, like around the 16th through the early 1800s, um, there, there were some chemical leaveners in use. Like fancy bakers could use uh, a heart's horn to give their goods lift. Um, that's baker's ammonia, a.k.a. ammonium carbonate a.k.a. smelling salts. It's a stuff plus heat leavener, um, but it produces ammonia along with the carbon dioxide, so it's not ideal. Um, and yes, it is what people used as smelling salts in the Victorian era. Um, poor bakers around the same time frame might have used pearl ash, a.k.a. potash, um, which was made from wood fire ashes and is basically lye. Um, it, it's, a, it's a stuff plus acid leavener, but it also leaves a bit of a chemical aftertaste. The scene would start changing in the 1790s. That's when French chemist Nicolas Leblanc um, isolated baking soda. Around the same time, um, cream of tartar was known um, and used, but it was this expensive byproduct of the wine industry. And researchers did know that the two could be combined into a double-acting sort of thing. But yeah, Altogether, like, ouch, super pricey. Um, both both ingredients were super pricey. Um, but then, kind of quickly, a couple things happened around the 1850s. Uh, researchers worked out how to industrially produce baking soda, and an American chemist combined that new cheaper product um, with a cream of tartar substitute, monocalcium phosphate, to create the first baking powder that could be produced relatively inexpensively and at scale. Um, so yeah, the Industrial Revolution gave us muffins. Well, thanks for that, I guess. <laughs> 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 Among other things. <laughs> After moving from England to the U.S. in 1880, Samuel Bath Thomas created the first Nooks and Crannies English muffin, allegedly based on a half-remembered recipe for his mother's tea cakes. He used a griddle to achieve the exterior crunchiness, and he called them Toaster crumpets. Hmm. Later that year, he opened a bakery in New York City, and it didn't take long for English muffins to catch on at hotels and restaurants as a fancier option to toast. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By 1884, people were calling them English muffins. Recipes for quick bread muffins were common in late 19th century American cookbooks. Uh, By this time, two additional industrial things had happened. Uh, Home kitchens were more likely to have ovens, um, and sugar was much less expensive. Also around the same time, um, the oven-ready muffin tin was invented. In 1920, Fred Wolferman started making English muffins. And yes, that Wolferman. Uh, I actually had to look this up, but everyone else seemed to know who he was. But it's another (laughs) brand of English muffins. It's very popular today. Yes. Pinning down the history of banana bread specifically is also tricky. But essentially, it was probably a recipe provided by a big company or corporation to promote either the use of baking soda and or flour and or the banana sometime between the 30s and the 50s. I know we discussed it in our banana episode, but a lot of these pamphlets came out Mm -hmm. from people trying to you know, get people excited about buying and using their whatever they're trying to sell. So that's probably the case with banana bread. Yeah. And there was a lot of marketing around bananas at the time. Yes. Yes. The American concept of breakfast. <laughs> Let's talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm, um, right? Yeah. Ooh, it transformed in the 1970s as more women entered the workforce. Since fewer people were around and had the time to make and cook breakfast at home, even eat it probably, the focus shifted to convenience. Grab-and-go items rose in popularity, and companies began introducing products like Sarah Lee's frozen muffins. And this led into, like, kind of a muffin craze um, <laughs> in the 80s and uh, in the 90s. And this may have started with a Canadian chain 
called Marvelous Muffins in 1979 out of Toronto. That's muffins with three M's. Oh, wow. I've never heard of that, and I love it. Me neither. This is new to me, but very exciting. Um, uh, So the founders apparently started this chain up after experimenting with these large premium muffins and other shops. They found great success. People were like driving in from miles away going like, going like, but big muffins with stuff in them? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, Dunkin' Donuts added muffins to their lineup by 1980. Muffin shops began opening across the U.S. and Canada with these ever fancier, larger, more cupcakey muffins for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, muffins got in on the like mall chain craze early in, uh, in 1981 and apparently this is a huge, um, like, nostalgia factor thing for Canadians. Uh, again, I don't know about it. Write in if this is a thing from your childhood or, yes. or whenever that, that, you, that you remember. Um, uh, at their peak in the mid-1980s, there were over 130 muffins <laughs> locations. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, in April of 1986, the Orlando Sentinel ran a piece called Popularity of Muffins on the Rise. <laughs> and it was it was reporting on recent franchises like um All My Muffins, which was one out of Beverly Hills. And then they reported that the total sales of muffins in the country was reaching towards a hundred million dollars per year. I love that. The muffins uh, sounds so menacing. <laughs> muffins on the rise. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, by by the early 90s, at least, um, it was a truth universally acknowledged um, that muffin tops are the most important part of the muffin. Um, the LA Times ran an article in 92 in which the author claims to have invented a new baked good based on this fact, muffies. Mm-hmm. If I may quote for you, who eats muffin bottoms? Just about everybody prefers the tops, which is why I invented muffies. They're baked on a baking sheet instead of a muffin tin and have no bottoms. <laughs> You've got to appreciate the innovation. Oh, muffies. Gosh. And this brings us to the Muffin Tops episode of Seinfeld, which came out in 97. Oh, and see, in that episode, um, oh, I'm so happy I get to use my <laughs> Seinfeld knowledge. In that episode, they, they disagree. They think you have to make the whole muffin Right. Or else it's not as good. So if, like, you just make the top, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you have to cut off the stem, right? Right. And the then they're, stem. like, trying to donate the stems, <laughs> and the people working at food banks or whatever are like, who just, who took the tops? What kind of sicko was just giving us the bottoms? <laughs> <laughs> and, yes, their, their, their slogan is, top of the muffin to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I I did not remember anything about this, uh, but I came across it in my research, and when I when I realized that it was the thing at the top that you said the top of the muffin to you was a Seinfeld reference, I was like, oh man, I did not beat Annie to a Seinfeld reference. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. I should have known better. I should have mm-hmm. known. Mm-hmm. But uh, but of course, um, like all trends, uh, the the muffin trend could not last. Uh, low fat and then low carb trends made it pretty difficult, and yogurt and cupcakes would become the kind of it shops. Yeah, and they Seinfeld did an episode about the yogurt trend as well. But I think they were the show was over by the time the cupcake trend happened. So that was the Sex in the City thing. Right. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. That Sex in the City factor was huge in the cupcake trend. Gosh. Oh, yes. <laughs> but anyway, all right. Away from Seinfeld facts for now. Uh, <laughs> Thomas's English muffins, I love this, were imported to Britain for the first time in the 1990s, where they are called American muffins. <laughs> Please write in and confirm that. That's what I read. Oh, um, I love this. That is so good. That is so good. Uh, a decade earlier is actually when the company came up with the nooks and crannies slogan. So even though it sounds old timey and like it's been around forever, it was actually huh. in the 80s that they came Gosh. up with Gosh. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and somehow, yeah, uh, like like we said earlier, the muffins market is still a growing sales category. Um, a lot of a lot of manufacturers these days are apparently using um, food science and some new like plant based protein ingredients to um, to try to make them a little bit healthier to sort of fit them back into that grab and go niche that they lost hold of as uh, as health trends changed. Right. I wonder. I feel like there must be a muffin I'm not considering. <laughs> I just can't imagine this. The maybe. muffin unconsidered. Yes. Oh gosh. Ooh. What? That is a good title for something. The muffin unconsidered. Oh, if t- tell tell me more about this unconsidered muffin that you're that you're contemplating. Well, I just feel like there's no way the muffin market could be that big. <laughs> and unless I'm not considering a muffin. Somewhere. I mean, I mean, blueberry and chocolate separately. Blueberry muffins and chocolate chip muffins are are both pretty popular. And and I feel like, uh, I mean, like when you think about like like Hostess or like Little Debbie's or something like that, definitely have little packaged like mini muffins mm-hmm. stuff like that. Intimates, um, another Seinfeld reference. Oh yes. yeah, <laughs> three Dude. for the trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh. All right. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I wonder, like at Starbucks or, and Dunkin' Donuts, how popular the muffin options are. I, they're, they're, still, they're still out there. It's true. It's true. And, yeah, and, and internationally, too. So, who knows? I'll Corn muffins? <laughs> Corn muffins. I don't yeah. know. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. See, I'm just not piecing together the, the mm. tapestry that is the muffin yeah, market. Yeah, yeah. Those, those Sam's Club muffins that like are as big as your head. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just size size alone means that they're a major factor in the market. I'm sure. Mm, yeah, they must make up for like one of those counts for a hundred regular muffins. <laughs> You're right. All right, it's coming together. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, that is uh, about what we have to say about the muffin. Um, mm-hmm. We do have a little bit more for you, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. (laughs) I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No Me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, mm-hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Westholm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. 
The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listener, listener mail. Mail. It's trying to do oh, the this is, muffins. Oh, mo- oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, this is so hard to do via Skype. Okay, it is. It's all it right. Is. But we're making it work. We're making it work. <laughs> we're trying. <laughs> Emma wrote, I just finished listening to your Easter egg episode, and I thought I would give you an insight on how we do Easter in Australia. Or at least how I do Easter in Australia. Hmm. For the last 40 years, I've spent every Easter on the banks of the Gulpa Creek in southern New South Wales. For the last 30 of those years, I've been in charge of organizing an Easter egg hunt for all the children that camp with us. This can vary from 10 children to upwards of 50. Now in the northern hemisphere, Easter falls in the lush birth of spring. But down here, we are mid-autumn, on top of which the Australian bush is not soft and gentle like a cultivated garden or park. It is jarring and dry and dusty. I have attached photos of the hunts over the years. I also have to ensure the eggs are hidden early enough that the sun doesn't melt them, but late enough that the parents who were partying the night before get the sleep in that they need. Also, if I leave it too late, the ants can become an issue. Regardless of the problems, by mid-afternoon on Easter Sunday, we have the appropriate number of kids crashing from a sugar high with sore tummies. Another difference from the Northern Hemisphere is that we have replaced... The Easter Bunny with a local marsupial, the Bilby. So we have an Easter Bilby. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This year, we were also gifted with three hours low TV event on the making of Easter chocolate. From the harvesting of sugarcane in Queensland to the eventual sale of Cadbury Easter bunnies in the supermarket. This year, we had to stay at home and everyone was very sad, but we still managed to eat our body weight in cheap chocolate. So not a total (laughs) loss. (laughs) The Easter Bilby. That's Easter Bilby. I I need to look up pictures of this it's immediately oh, because yeah. that sounds real adorable. <laughs> Sabine wrote, I am a huge fan of savers since well ever, but I was truly shocked, yes, shocked, that you never had white asparagus. As you mentioned, we Germans eat mostly the white thick one, although the green is getting kind of known in the last years, but never really made it in the kitchens of the Germans. Of course, we know a lot of ways to prepare the white gold, as it is sometimes called. Most of the time, a true German will eat it with fresh potatoes, thin slices of cooked and or air-dried ham, and sauce hollandaise, or even more traditional melted butter. The peel is used to make a soup out of it. Um, Most of the times you don't buy asparagus in a grocery store, but either in one of the stalls in the streets which appear out of nowhere in April to sell local grown asparagus and later strawberries, or you buy it directly at the producer's farm, who mostly will also have said ham and potatoes. To buy asparagus from another part of Germany, let alone other parts of the world, is frowned upon. Yes, we Germans love our asparagus. How much? Well, in times of corona, when the borders are closed, the asparagus farmers were alarmed. If the borders are remaining closed, the workers who help harvesting, who are from Eastern Europe, are not allowed to come in. The vegetable will rot on the fields, and Germans will not have their traditional spring vegetable. To avert this crisis, the German government not only allowed the harvest workers to come by a special permit, but flew them in, I kid you not, instead of let them travel by road and train. One would hope that the workers will be paid better this year, but I wouldn't count on it. And another personal story about asparagus. 
One of the first dates I had with a former boyfriend who was American was an asparagus dinner I wanted to cook. Since he lived next to a farm, I told him to bring a bundle of asparagus. He came late because he had to run around to find proper green asparagus, which he proudly presented to me, saying it was the only bundle he could find in the whole city. He was so proud of it, and I looked at him asking, what the hell should I do with these green, thin excuses of spears? Well, that was over 20 years ago. The former boyfriend is my husband now, and we live happily ever after eating white asparagus since. <laughs> that's so great. That's, that's a great first date story. Oh, that is very, very sweet. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. <laughs> I'm determined we'll try this one day, Lauren. One day. I, I think we will. I think we're going to get to do it. I'm psyched. All right. I, I, I want this experience. I want I want to go to Germany and I want this experience of of getting it from a fresh farm stand and not being sure how to cook it. I am very excited for that experience as well. (laughs) So thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, if you have banana bread or muffin projects in the works and want to share with us, you can email us. Our email address is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring Bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And... Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.